0: But if you use the Ruby Rogues link, you'll get a $2,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hire to get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hire.com slash Ruby Snap is a hosted CI and continuous delivery that is simple and intuitive. Snap's deployment pipelines deliver fast feedback and can push healthy builds to multiple environments automatically or on demand. Snap integrates deeply with GitHub and has great support for different languages, data stores, and testing frameworks. Snap deploys your application to cloud services like Roku, DigitalOcean, AWS, and many more. Try Snap for free. Sign up at snapci.com slash rubyrogues. This episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is the provider I use to host all of my creations. All the shows are hosted there along with any other projects I come up with. Their user interface is simple and easy to use, their support is excellent. And their VPSs are backed on solid state drives and are fast and responsive. Check them out at DigitalOcean.com. If you use the code RubyRogues, you'll get a $10 credit. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 251 of the RubyRogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have Jessica Kerr. Good morning. Coraline Ada MT. Who found who's? I'm Charles Wood from devchat.tv. And this week, we have a special guest, and that is Mindogas Mozuras. I think I slotted that properly. Yeah, close enough. Uh Yeah. Hi, hey, everyone. You want to introduce yourself really quickly?
1: Yeah. My name is Mindaugas Mazuras. Uh, it's not a common name, so don't worry about not pronouncing it slightly incorrectly. As you probably already understood, I'm not from USA. I'm from Lithuania. And I work at a company called Vinted, a company that aims to be, to make secondhand the first choice worldwide. I'm also an author of a gem called Pronto. Uh, which tries to automate uh, code reviews, and that's the topic today.
0: So when you talk about automating code reviews, what exactly do you mean? Because it seems like it's mostly, when I think of code reviews, it's, okay, hey, come look at this really quickly, or putting in a pull request and then having somebody else, you know, check my work.
1: Yeah, so you can also ask a robot to check your work, right? Uh, It doesn't have to be a human. Yeah. So... Of course, a robot can can do everything. Uh, it can only check a certain amount of things. I guess simpler things like uh, style violations, duplication, etc. Uh, but it's also a sort of code review.
0: Okay.
2: Can yeah, we take but... a step back and talk about like what a code review is and why you'd want to do it?
1: Yeah. So code review is an examination of a source code, trying to find mistakes, violations, and just trying to make uh, the code better in some sort of way, and there are a lot of ways to make the code better. Do you agree, or do you have something to add?
2: I think that's basically it. But I think that there are different like kind of styles of code review depending on who's performing the code review. And so I'm interested in what sort of parts you think should be automated. Like some people will get really picky about, oh, you're you didn't you should use an underscore in front of that variable name I mean, because it's not actually used in your method. Or other people are going to be more like conceptual about like the abstractions that you use, and other people are going to be, you know, like, hey, you don't have enough tests. So, what are the valuable parts of the code review process that you think can be automated?
1: I think it's it's going to depend on the situation, right? Everything depends. For that, I want to take a step back and tell a little bit about why I wrote Pronto. So, when I started working at Vinted, I was like a fifth developer. And in three months, the company grew from three developers to 11, right? That's a really fast pace of growth. And the source code, it wasn't really clean. It had a lot of various styles within it. Some parts written one way, other parts another. And now the team grew, quickly grew to 11 people and everyone else. And every every one of those 11 people brought their own way of writing code. And we suddenly ended up in a situation where not only we have a project that has various uh, styles within it, new people are also bringing their own styles to that source code. And we needed to find a way to make the whole project conform to a single style. And at first, I was we, we tried just reviewing each other's code on the pull request, on a GitHub pull request. And there were a lot of comments like, Oh, this variable should like you, like you said, like this variable should not start with underscore. But I don't think that's a very valuable thing for us humans to review, right? Sure. So, and that's a very easy thing to automate. There are a lot of tools that can check these things automatically, like but The thing is. You can run RuboCop on the whole project, but what you want is that immediate feedback on the pull request, like a code review. And that was one of the reasons why I wrote Pronto.
2: So we do use RuboCop and my work to do style checks and things like that. What is different about Pronto between Pronto and RuboCop? I'm not clear on that.
1: Pronto integrates tools like RuboCop, Flay, Breakman, and like a dozen of others, and Instead of running them on the whole project, it runs them just on the latest change or on a change in a pull request and then quickly provides feedback on the code that actually changed. So we had a situation where if we ran RuboCop on the whole project, we would get like these a thousand warnings and you can not do a lot with that. So what we wanted is just having this feedback on this single pull request, the new exchange, and like improving and that way improving the code bit by bit.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. I mean the thing is is I remember way back in the day there was metric foo and so it ran flay and flog and all of those against your entire project and gave you a report of where your complexity was and where your uh, test coverage fell flat and all of that stuff. But yeah, it was across the whole project. So if you have a 10,000 lines of code or 100,000 lines of code, it's going to run it against the whole project. And you get this huge report that is really hard to make any kind of meaningful dent in. However, if I make some small change to the project, you know, something that I'm just working on, you know, that I submit to the project, then I get the feedback on my code that says you're not matching up with the style of the rest of the project. And here are a few things for you to look at. And since it's fresh in my mind, it's something that I was just recently working on. And it's hopefully a small enough commit for me to get meaningful feedback on. It's something that I can go in and at least look at and possibly make those quick changes and have those changes actually mean something within the context of what I just did.
1: Absolutely. And actually, we did try using metric foo and we would open this huge report with a huge list of violations and that didn't get us anywhere. You look at it and you say, so, huh, now what?
0: So do you just put this in GitHub or is it part of a CI setup? Or how does this fit into somebody's workflow? Where do you put it?
3: So Pronto runs only on the change you've made, right?
0: Yes.
1: That
3: sounds super useful. We're having problems right now, occasionally, uh, at my work, where in our Ruby code, where we're running Ruby RuboCop, and some new linters were added, and that makes it harder to make PRs because you're getting errors that are not related to your change.
1: Yes. You can run Pronto locally, or you can run Pronto on a pull request, and Pronto will write the comments on your pull request using the GitHub user you specified, and if you want to do that you obviously need to integrate it in your CI workflow. Pronto also supports uh, GitLab, there's also a feature request for Bitbucket but uh, no one got around to implementing that.
0: Could you also put it into a git hook so that before you push it runs?
1: Yes, absolutely. I don't use it that way, but there's uh, no one, no one stopping you from doing it that way.
3: So that's neat. That unlike uh, Rubocop, for instance, if I push a commit and I've got some syntax that it doesn't like, oh my god, the trailing white space! <laughs> <then> oh my <laughs> god, yes. <laughs> then what I get back is a test failed. I have to click on that, it takes me to Jenkins, and look at look at the console log, look at the output of that, and then trace that back to the line of code. Whereas this automated commenting on the pull request in GitHub is going to be right there in my pull request at the line of code in question, right? Right. That's so That's much friendlier, easier to yeah,
2: yeah, definitely. Oh, I see. Um, I'm looking at the GitHub readme right now for Pronto and I see um you have runners, and there are runners for things like Brickman and CoffeeLint and Flay, and lots of other things. I have a gem that does non-opinionated. Complexity analysis. This Flay does like ABC complexity measurement, but with some additional metrics around metaprogramming and other things that the author thought make code more complicated. And so I have like a more vanilla ABC code metric tool. How easy would it be for me as a developer of a metric tool to create a runner for Ponto?
1: It would be pretty easy. The easiest way would be to go look at uh, an existing source code of some runner, and just using it as a template. There's no more than a single file with maybe 30 or 40 lines of code.
2: What does that integration tend to look like?
1: You get an array of patches from Pronto. That's a list of changes, basically. And you use those patches to figure out which uh, files you actually need to check and then you, you run Flay or Breakman or RuboCop or your tool on those files and return the results back to Pronto.
2: Okay, cool. It's
0: worth checking out then. So what does the feedback look like from Pronto?
1: It looks however you want it to look. It's just a warning message provided by the tool Pronto uses. So if you're used to messages that RuboCop provides, you'll get those messages exactly like RuboCop would provide from Pronto.
3: Except it shows up as being from whatever GitHub user you've configured Pronto to be?
1: Exactly. Yes, exactly.
3: So then I could set up a GitHub user with like a funny picture.
0: Yes. (laughs) Or an angry picture.
3: (laughs) Well, the important thing about that is that you're taking all these comments that one you're saving the code reviewers the trouble of complaining about trailing white space, but more important to me is that you're saving yourself, like feeling judgment from your team. It's just the computer that's complaining. It's it's not a person who's, so it's, it's a lot harder to take it personally when it's coming from an automated code reviewer.
2: It's not to Absolutely. say you shouldn't, um, you shouldn't personify the automated code review thing and give it a funny name like Jerkins or something. <laughs> <laughs>
1: We're using a much friendlier name. Uh, We're using Eve from Wally. Uh, (laughs) You can't be angry at Eve, right?
3: (laughs) True. She's offering helpful suggestions. Try me. (laughs)
0: Uh, Coraline reserves the right to direct her anger at anyone.
3: Yes. Or any cartoon.
0: Yep. So I'm curious how does your team use Pronto then? We have it
1: uh, running on every pull request. We have it integrated in a, into our CI workflow. So all tests run and Pronto also runs with them. And then it posts comments on every pull request we have. You know, then the person that made the pull request fixes the violations that Pronto points out, pushes again and Hopefully it doesn't get any messages from Pronto then.
3: Is there a check that Pronto didn't have anything so it won't let you merge your pull request if you haven't corrected those?
1: Not yet, but hopefully it's coming in the next pronto version. So on GitHub you can have multiple statuses on a pull request. We're working on we're working that Pronto would be able to return for each runner a status to a GitHub pull request. So if you have multiple runners configured, like Rakeman, Play, and Rubocop, you would get a status for each one of them.
3: Cool. How has, since you've implemented Pronto at Vinted, how has it changed your code base?
1: For the better. So it changed two things. One thing is, yes, the code base. It's a lot more consistent, and I believe that consistency is very important. Both at the code level and at and also at the technology level, and I think that's changed. There's a lot less angry people. Um,
2: <laughs> and I'm oh, I'm okay. noticing a trend. Like you don't want people to be angry, and I I really feel offended by that. <laughs> as, as an angry person, I I don't feel like you know you're respecting that.
3: Okay, well let's can we be less angry yet at, at our teammates?
2: Fine. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I can relate to that. I was one of those people that would write 30 comments about misplaced brackets in the pull request. So I was called angry a lot, and I made a lot of other people angry. Pronto solved that.
2: Jessica mentioned this earlier, and I really think it's, it's worth like reiterating that when the review is coming from a tool that is objective, I think that people's feelings are a lot less likely to be hurt. I know sometimes when I'm doing a code review... I'm like, am I saying too much? Like, should I just say the couple of things that are the most important and let other things slide because I don't want them to feel like like I'm attacking them or like I'm being too critical? So I like the idea of having a tool that, you know, is just going to tell it like it is and get the mechanical things out of the way so that in my code reviews I can focus more on things that are conceptual or like, you know, how an object is modeled or overall flow or things that are like beyond syntax.
3: Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned first that there are fewer angry people and there are also fewer who, who, fewer people who are perceived as being angry.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: So I had to ask, how do you as a team arrive and agree on what the standards are?
1: So in the world of Ruby, it's quite easy. We have the Ruby style guide and that's that. You can just take it and use it. I believe there's Really no good reason to come up with something on your own. There were a couple of discussions about parts of the style guide, but eventually we agreed to follow it, to follow the, the whole of it.
2: Did well, you have to settle the question of Seattle style with um, parens around method arguments?
1: I don't remember what, what the Seattle style looked like.
2: Method calls without parentheses, if possible. That's the thing that always sticks out in my head.
1: <sighs> no, we didn't.
2: Good. <laughs> See, I am thankful for that Ruby style got existing. But even so, I found that in my company, we've had to customize RuboCop quite a bit because there's things like the white space. Like it wants there to be white space at the end of a file, like an extra new line at the end of a file, and little things like that. That, you know, we, we spend a lot of time like sort of configuring it and customizing it. So there's always something. One of the things that I've been pairing um, over the past month or so with this great developer. He's a polyglot, um, and he's really into functional programming, and he's been really insistent, um, and sort of taught me a lot about return values. I think in Ruby, we tend to, um, we tend to use constructs where it's like, oh, this condition is met, so I'm going to return this object. Oh, the condition's not met, I'm going to return nil. And he's impressed on me the importance of always returning a thing of the same object type. And I'm curious as to, like, if that, could that be codified into a code
1: style, do you think? I'm now trying to come up with a way to do that in Ruby.
3: Well, a few episodes ago, we talked about Crystal, which does that. But unfortunately, you can't use it as a Ruby letter.
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't think you can do that in Ruby. But if someone knows a way, please tell me.
2: I think that would be pretty cool. That's like one of the main things I picked up from him. It's like, yeah, as a method caller, I should be able to depend on the, on the return type of this function. So it's sort of impressed that importance on me now. I guess you could look at the AST and see if there are conditions where it's going to return nil. But I guess you couldn't really predict being a, a real time language. You couldn't really predict what the possible return values could be. You could just say, Oh, this has a chance of returning nil.
3: It closure your schema. Does that check at runtime?
1: How oh, does it do that?
3: It just wraps the method in an assertion. To, and it, well, by runtime, usually it's configured to only happen during tests. So if you ever get something back of a different type, or shape, I should say, then you specified, then it throws an exception. Okay. Think that you but that wouldn't help you with your pull request.
2: Yeah. I think that my brain has been polluted with types.
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh oh. It, it has, has started. started. <laughs> the conversion to functional programmer.
2: It has started. And we're using a pipeline architecture too. So there are so many functional paradigms that are coming to bear here. Sweet.
1: I don't think you can do that in a stylistics check, but. You can do that with tests, right?
3: Right. Right. At Vinted, now that you have Pronto, do you still review all the PRs?
1: Absolutely. We don't... Nothing gets merged and deployed without getting a pull request and a code review. At least one thumbs up, or ideally at least two. But what Pronto did... Instead of focusing so much on the stylistic things that are already automated, we can focus on more important matters. So ar- architecture, go des- design, etc.
0: Gotcha. So you, you can go in and say, there's probably a better re- way to do this. Or there's a method in the Ruby standard library that already does what you wrote here. Or I think you should probably extract a class or extract a method as opposed to worrying about, well, you know, you have too many spaces here, or um, you put parentheses here and not there, or things like that. Absolutely. I
3: have a question about code review ethics, conventions, because one thing I've noticed is that different teams have different traditions around code reviews. Some teams will prioritize, oh, there's something to review. At my next stopping point, I need to review that. Uh, Some teams will have just one reviewer and some of them will all try to review it. Sometimes as soon as you get a thumbs up, you can merge. And then there's the part about uh, sometimes people will uh, have whole discussions about PRs. Personally, I really like it when people say, yes, this is good. And let's talk about this other thing. And just let me ship the thing. Because sometimes I'm very discouraged by making a PR because people... Will like say, oh, but have you thought about doing it this way? Oh, but have you thought about doing it this way? And I'm like, look, look, this is a bug fix. Can we just get it in and then <laughs> talk about the stylistic things? Have y'all encountered like trade offs with styles of code review etiquette?
2: I gave a talk in at RubyConf Australia last year where I talked about a lot of the the things that we do, like the patterns that we follow that aren't necessarily effective. And one of the things I talked about was a code review bomb. And the circumstance you you just spoke about, Jessica, reminds me of that, although it would not apply in the case of a bug. But if you are doing a feature and maybe you're working alone or maybe you're working with a pair and you're making lots of decisions along the way in terms of like how it's designed and how it's going to interact with other parts of the system. And you do all this work and you get to the end and maybe it's a sprint long project and you send it up for code review. At that point in time, it is inappropriate and way too late for anyone to say, have you thought about doing this a different way? Even if they are right, it's just too late because you've already put all this effort into it and invested all this time into it. So one thing I actually don't like about code reviews is when they happen only at the end of a project. I would much rather see people checking in, like doing interim check-ins and having discussions, maybe during stand-up or during a team huddle, about, like, this is the approach I'd like to take. Does anyone have any feedback? Because code review should not be the first time you see a major change to your system.
3: So code review, early and often
2: that's my argument yeah because otherwise does- you feel like a big jerk saying oh you forgot about this thing which means you have to redo everything you just did and you're just not going to say it so you're going to accept code that's not optimal
0: it's kind of like the like the huge merge that people do right where they go off and they work on their feature branch for 3 months and then they come back and they have this major merge back into things you know that that's kind of what causes some of this is the- but
3: it works the other way too The comment on my pull request caused me to do a big merge because I did the code changes the same day and I was ready to commit them at the end of the day. But no, somebody's like, oh, well, you should have this test. Oh, well, if you're going to do this over here, why don't you do the similar thing over there as well, which is totally an additional feature request. Could you just (laughs) let me put my pull request in and then, but no, I have to like, and this isn't even my job. I'm just fixing a bug in your infrastructure, okay? So let me put it in because otherwise it's going to be weeks before I get back to it. And then I'm going to have that three-month merge problem.
2: Yeah, I'm sensing but, some hostility, Jessica. Can you tell us how
0: you really feel? Do you have a problem <laughs>
3: with hostility, Coraline?
0: Maybe, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not gonna, anger. I'm gonna go sit in the corner now. <laughs> but no, what what <laughs> I I'm what I'm, I'm saying feel. is is that you know if you if you're merging like a one day's worth of work, that's one thing. But like code reviewing three months worth of work off of a huge merge that goes back into master, uh. then you have this big code review problem where you, you know, as Coraline said, you're basically seeing this huge amount of change in your project all at once. that You've got to go and review instead of doing things more along the lines of, you know, single branch or what is it? Master only. I forget what. Anyway, you know, but merging often as well as committing often.
1: Absolutely. And we had situations where we had people make pull requests with weeks of work. And now we just try to avoid that and we proactively try to, to tell people that this is not okay if you're making a pull request and we see you have we see 30 commits 2 weeks of work that should never happen mm-hmm. and that's both a cultural thing and a tool thing so in terms of tools there are things like a b testing and feature switches that enable you to release half-finished features to production and not break what your users are doing.
3: I like that phrase. I like that the point about we are releasing half-finished features to production, which sounds terrifying. Mm -hmm. But yet, a lot of places have figured out that this beats that big Fat Merge.
1: Yeah, as long as you have the right tools, like, again, feature switches and A-B testing, etc., it's it's completely fine. You know, you, you merge it in, Enable that feature just for yourself in production. Uh, yeah, it's not completed, but it's not breaking anything. Yeah, fine.
3: Oh, we have a thing with feature flags lately. Of uh, There's been a couple tasks that have come up of, ah, what are all these flags and why are they still here and do we still need them anymore? Can you do something with an automated checker that maybe Pronto runs to say, Hey, uh, this this feature flag has been in there for like a month, and you ain't done nothing with it. Should it come out?
1: I don't think that's the job of Pronto since Pronto checks the changes, and what and what you're talking about is code that's probably not that that has not been touched in a while. Good point. Another thing that I remembered is that Martin Fowler just recently wrote this huge thing about, or not Martin Fowler, or someone that might have been someone else, but. Wrote is huge thing about feature switches that's worth checking out.
0: Yeah, it was Martin, at least the one that I saw. Yeah, we actually had a discussion about that on the iFreak show with Neil Ford, who also works for ThoughtWorks. And the title of the episode is Efficient Engineering Practices. But yeah, he went into that whole single branch development and feature toggles and things like that and really made a terrific case for why you would want to do things that way and some of the issues that it helps you avoid.
3: And the issues that it introduces, which... Yes. Then we can find ways to avoid those.
0: Yep.
2: So I've been doing open source for about 20 years, and I've had some like projects that no one pays any attention to, and some projects that got big. And I'm always interested to hear the perspective of other open source developers in terms of how you go about managing your open source project. So... You have a, a lot of contributors to Pronto, and I'm curious, like, how do you manage the community and how do you get new people interested in contributing? Or is it like mainly your coworkers? workers or how exactly is the project run?
1: Um, I don't think any of my coworkers contributed directly to Pronto. I'm not remembering an instance of that right now. They did contribute a couple of runners. Well, first, when you have an open source project, you can't believe that if I wrote it, they will come. You have to do some marketing. I I view an open source project just like a view... Just I view an open source project just like... It's just a project. You build a minimum viable product and then you go to try and sell it to people. I think there's a lot of value in having open source contributions, and you can't achieve that without doing some additional work that's not just coding. So the first step is marketing and posting on various websites such as RubyFlow, and Hacker News, and Reddit. And then if, hopefully, contributors come, just being positive with them and treating them just like you would a coworker.
2: Is there any particular outreach that you did to get like new people to contribute or is it just like whoever showed up?
1: Yeah, it's just go, whoever showed up, Uh whoever got interested in Pronto and found it useful.
2: And how do you manage the fact that as people add features, they may not be in line with what your vision of what Pronto is as it evolves? Have you run into that sort of situation where someone wanted to make Pronto do something and you're like, that's not really in our charter?
1: So far, there wasn't a pull request that introduced a feature that I wouldn't want. There were issues that were created and people wrote about stuff they would like Pronto to have. But at that point, it's still easy enough to say, yeah, sounds interesting, but that's not exactly what Pronto is for. So, no, I haven't run a situation where someone would make a pull request and I would have to reject it. But if there were a case... I, I, I guess I would be capable to make that hard decision.
2: About how many hours a week do you spend on Pronto?
1: It varies from a couple of hours to oh, eight hours, I guess.
3: Do you like check Stack Overflow and answer questions, that kind of thing?
1: I don't check Stack Overflow, but people were helpful enough to provide links to Stack Overflow via Twitter.
3: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so if you <laughs> have questions on Pronto, we should tweet at you.
1: Yeah, that works.
3: But <laughs> the record, your Twitter handle is M-M-O-Z-U-R-A-S.
1: Yes, that's correct.
2: <laughs> so what's, what's next for Pronto? What are you working on right now?
1: The next big thing is Bitbucket support. So right now, Pronto supports GitHub and GitLab, and Bitbucket is the next thing.
3: So more integration. Yeah, Pronto is really a cool integration project of... On the one side, GitHub, GitLab, Bitbucket, and local running. And on the other side, RuboCop and Play and all of the linter thingies that it runs. And this project pulls all of those together and makes all of them even more useful.
0: All right. Well, is there anything else that we should talk about with uh, Pronto or code reviews before we get to our picks? I think
1: it's worth mentioning that Pronto is not the only tool that is meant for automating code reviews. When I started writing Pronto, there were none, but now there's a slew of them, and some of them are paid for, like you have to pay for them to use them, like Hound CI or pull review. They have different features, but as far as I'm aware, Pronto is the only open source gem
0: that's meant for this. Sweet. Awesome. All right, well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Jessica, do you have some picks for us?
3: I do. I do. I have some picks today. So my first pick is a little bit silly, but I recently dyed my bangs again, and I did them like with blue and yellow green stripes. And it was just an experiment, but it turned out great. And also now like little kids stare at me in the grocery store. <laughs> <laughs> Took me a little while to figure out That's why great. that was, but it's my obnoxious hair. So, my first pick is manic panic hair dye because it's it's just so fun and it only lasts a few weeks. It's fine.
0: I could dye my scalp.
3: <laughs> you could like color on your scalp with Sharpie.
0: Oh, there we go. That would only that would last a few sweet. weeks, too.
3: Yeah, exactly. And you could have like yeah, mini tattoos for a short period of time. It's awesome. And if you don't like it, put on a hat.
0: <laughs> my girls would have a field day with that. Anyway,
3: all right, so my other pick is rather serious. There's a post that came across my Twitter feed this week. It's about mental health. It's by Kenneth Wrights. So it's on kennethwrights.org. And it's about a mental breakdown that he had. And it describes in great details the delusions that he experienced after not sleeping for entirely too long. And the Amazon Dynamos paper comes up and has prominence. It's a really meaningful post about what can happen when your brain just gets a little bit off and how that can spiral. I highly recommend this. It's called Mental Health Error and Exception Occurred. That's my serious pick.
0: All right. Coraline, what are your picks?
2: Okay. I also have one silly pick and one serious pick. My silly pick is a site called
0: Frankiac.
2: Um A friend of mine was involved in putting this together. It is a search engine for Simpsons memes. It contains nearly 3 million screen captures with subtitles. You can search for your favorite snippet of dialogue, see the scene in which it takes place, select the exact frame that you want, and edit the text to whatever you want. It was created by Paul Kerr, Sean Schultz, and my friend Ali Young. And um it's pretty fun. And I was able to find my favorite Simpsons quote, which was, in this house we obey the laws of thermodynamics. So that was pretty fun.
0: <laughs> nice.
2: My more serious pick is an article by Eric Chapman, So... I founded an IRC channel called New to Ruby. It's pound pound new to Ruby, um, on Freenode. And, um, I was talking to someone in there about their frustration around, um, learning Ruby and like how the resources tend to dry up when you get to a certain phase in your learning process. And they referenced this article, um, and talked about, um, one particular phase that the article discusses. So the article is called Why Learning to Code is So Damn Hard. It's written by Eric Troutman. The article is written for people who are just beginning to code, but it provides a useful perspective to people who teach and mentor, I think, as well. It breaks the um, journey toward job readiness into four phases. The hand-holding honeymoon, the cliff of confusion, the desert of despair, and the upswing of awesome. And it talks about the wealth or dearth of resources that are available at each of these phases and gives you guidance on how to successfully work your way through it by setting goals and setting reasonable expectations. So it basically acknowledges the hard truth that getting started learning the code is really, really easy, but getting yourself to the point where you're job ready is really, really hard. So that's my pick.
0: All right. I'll jump in with a couple of picks here. Uh, the first pick that I have, I'm just going to put out there, regardless of whether or not it's been picked last week. I've been using a system called AppSumo on uh, devchat.tv, and I'm really liking it. It allows me to see the analytics just right there on the page, and I actually have to go to Google Analytics. It also does all of the email forms and stuff like that that you see on there. So, for example, if you go to rubyrogues.com and you haven't seen it before, you'll see a form come up first that allows you to get the top 10 episodes of Ruby Rogues in your inbox, which is something that a lot of people have asked me for, and I just wanted to make sure they saw it. After that, it shouldn't show up for a while. But anyway, so things like that makes it really easy for me to make a lot of things available to you, and I'm super happy with it. It also allows me to put up links to, for example, follow Ruby Rogues on Facebook or Twitter or share the episodes and things like that. So really happy with that. Another pick that I have that I'm also using on there is Add This. Now, AppSumo actually has the sharing links on there, um, and I'm thinking of switching it over, but I've been really happy with Add This. So if you're looking for sharing links and follow links on your website, then go ahead and put those up. And finally, I'm going to pick Circle CI. It's interesting. I, w- I uh, hooked that up to S- Slack. And it's nice because I get notifications now whenever something gets pushed to one of my projects. And test fail or test pass. And I can kind of see where things are at. And uh, I'm, I'm really liking that. Uh, Trello also, incidentally, has an integration for Slack. So whenever somebody finishes a ticket that I need to go review or anything else, I can go and actually look at those and uh, get the work done. So... I'm really happy about that. Finally, my last pick. Sorry, I'm picking a lot of stuff. Uh, Last week was a freelance remote conf, um, which is one of the remote conferences I'm putting on, and it was awesome. It was dead on. If you're looking at going freelance, the talks were all excellent about pricing and uh, how to find clients and different options you have for different kinds of work and all kinds of things. So if you are freelance or looking to go freelance, I highly, highly recommend the content from that conference. It was excellent. If you go buy a ticket, it'll just give you access to those recordings. I'm also doing Ruby Remote Comp here in a couple of weeks, so definitely check that out as well at rubyremotecomp.com. Uh Mendogas, that's how you say it, something like that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are your picks? Close enough.
1: Um, so I have one serious pick and one not-so-serious pick. So for my serious pick, I wanted to pick Rescue Time that Abdi already picked in a show I listened to today about Crystal, I think. Yeah. I've been using that for a couple of months and it's been really useful for me. It, it helped me face a couple of things I spent too much time on. So instead, for my serious pick, I'll choose an article by Dan McKinley. It's called Choose Boring Technology. These days, we talk a lot about how we should choose the right tool for the job, or sometimes we choose the bright and shiny tool, but what Dan argues for is that choosing the boring tool is much better. So, for example, Memcached is boring, but boring is not bad. Memcached works. Huge companies like Facebook already use it. And if there are failure scenarios, Facebook probably already found it out, found them out, and they're unknown and understood. And for my other pick, I'll choose Brandon Sanderson. So, Charles already picked a couple of his books before, but I just want to pick all his books. Um, (laughs) So I've been reading his Mistborn Mistborn series lately, and previous year I've completed two books of his Stormlight Archive series, and before that I read some other books of his, and they're all amazing. So just pick any of his books and go read it. He's a great fantasy author.
0: Yeah, I really enjoy his books. Also, incidentally, he he lives in Provo, which is like 20 minutes from here. So anyway, awesome. Well, if people want to contribute to Pronto or find out more about what's going on, I know we've kind of asked these questions before, but you know, kind of give us the spiel on how to get involved and how to get a hold of you if we want to connect with you. The easiest way to connect with me is just tweet at me
1: at twitter.com slash M-M-O-Z-U-R-E-S. If you want to contribute to Pronto, just go to GitHub, read the contributing file in the project directory and you know create an issue or make a pull request. Right now, there's always not enough of documentation for open source projects. So if you don't find, have the time to contribute a code change, contributing some documentation is great too.
0: All right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap up the show. Thank you all for coming. and We'll catch you all next week. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by CashFly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with CashFly. Visit dot com to learn more. Would you like to join a conversation with the rogues and their guests? Want to support the show? We have a forum that allows you to join the conversation and support the show at the same time sign up at rubyrokes.com slash partner.